Welcome to Season 3 of the Building Bellingham Podcast. I'm your host, Leo Cohen. Looking back over the last two years, we've heard so many stories of resilience and moxie, big businesses that started with humble beginnings. From packing up software on a dining room table, to delivering cookies by bicycle, to selling soap at a farmer's market, to negotiating commercial deals while fixing cars, great businesses don't spring up out of nowhere. Building a business involves overcoming challenges, experiencing failures large and small, and putting in the work day in and day out. And in season three, we're thrilled to bring even more stories of challenges, failure, and people who didn't give up in the face of them. Thank you for joining me as we dive into the story behind one of Bellingham's biggest brands. Today, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ty McClellan, VP and part owner of Hardware Sales. We get to learn about a generational family business. We get to learn about risk. We get to learn about what it takes to build a strong culture and leadership team. In this episode, we talk about how big businesses many times come from humble beginnings and specializing in one thing or another and expanding and expanding and expanding from there. What does it mean to be a grassroots local business and still have scalability? How do you stay current on trends to ensure that you're competitive? How do you remember how many parts are in your store, where they are, and how to find them? What can you expect as an experience when you walk in the doors at Hardware Sales? We talk about systems, efficiency. Oh, and we talk about garage door openers. You'll see what I mean. Hi, welcome yes. to the Building Bellingham Studio. Uh, we're kicking off season three, episode one. We're back in the studio. It's been, gosh, almost two years since we've been in the studio, and you're you are the one that kicks it off. Very nice. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us, taking time out of uh, your busy day to to make this happen, and we're talking here about hardware sales. This is a, a a local Bellingham staple. So my grandfather started the business back in '62. And what he did was he actually was into the logging field for years. So he had an interest in logging, but didn't want to drive log trucks. So he actually uh, got into surplus. So he bought a lot of military surplus, Boeing surplus product. And then we got into dynamite for the loggers to build roads. And then when he picked up from there, he bought a 500 ton press, which we could press all the chokers and uh, haulbacks and things that the loggers needed up in the hills to get the trees to the top of the hill or down the hill. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, we were small, uh, shoot, probably two, three employees at that time. My dad decided to get into the hardware business with my grandfather and my aunt at the time. And uh, we continued to grow in the hardware. And throughout the years, we just kept on adding this, adding that. And next thing you know, we had an industrial department. We had a rental department. We got into an internet department. And now I think we've grown into... I think we're currently at 144 employees with three locations. One retail location, we have a uh, 56,000 square foot warehouse in Indianapolis and a 33,000 square foot warehouse in Ferndale. Wow. And we just uh, started another level and that's shipping our products physically into the Amazon warehouses instead of handling the stuff out of our DCs. You know, it seems like most really, you know, good things in the world, big things come from pretty humble beginnings typically. And so you know, it all starts from a simple one, one track, right? And then it starts, you start adding on all, all these other tracks. And over time, the family starts jumping into the business. So really curious about family business. When, when the company was started, was there 
this is going to be a family business. Was that just a thought or did, you know, the, the rest of the family, aunt and uncle uh, jump in and say, hey, this looks like something we can add value to. What, what was that like? My grandparents started and my dad and my aunt came to work for them. Then my aunt's kids, which were older than me, came to work. Then down the line, I came to work. And yes, yeah, so actually at one point we had uh, seven family members working there wow. and five of us were owners. Uh, my grandmother, she she worked up until her 90s and she worked six days a week and she probably put in close to 13, 14 hour days. And she was kind of our anchor whenever mm -hmm. we had, we were all trying to do different things and try different things. And she would always hold us back and and uh, make sure we weren't moving too fast. But, you know, we tried a lot of things, too, that definitely didn't work. Right. You know, through the years and there'd be arguments. I mean, it was tough working with so many family members. And yeah little bit of jealousy here and there. And uh, just over the years, it uh, went through many, well, I guess uh, even my daughter was working there and my aunt's grandchildren. So we've had a little bit of fourth generation even in the building now. You know, having the mix of personal and professional, like, like we just talked about, can have its pros and its cons. How did you all separate that professional side and say, at the end of the day, when we're done, whether that's 14 hours later, at the end of the day, when we're done, we're going to just separate our minds and just go and do the family thing. How did, what was that like for you all? For the most part, we could do that. Uh, there was naturally a few, few little hiccups along the way, <laughs> but uh, you know, as far as my dad and I's relationship, we've never had work get in between us or have any problems, which is really, really nice. Yeah. But you know, there was, there was some other stirrups between us and the other family and, and stuff like that. But we, we definitely worked through it. When you look at the business, got this timeline of scale, right? And you started out with a simple outlook, a simple uh, mission, and it grew into this huge business, right? Which, you know, it's it's not a huge, 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 huge business. It's still local. It's maintained this like balance of being able to scale, and, but staying local and being known as a local business. Still being old fashioned. Still being old fashioned. What does yep. that mean to be old fashioned? You know, we could we could go and put all the bling in there, and but the thing is, we'd have to widen the aisles, and you know, you'd lose a lot of product. And we make little changes at a time, and it still keeps things traditional. And we make simple little changes. We try and really maintain that, but not only the product, but uh, part of us retaining our people. And you know, we just had one gal retire with thirty six years with us. Wow. We've actually just had two plumbers retire that were there over twenty years. And they're part of that culture too, of feeling that old town and, you know, with these old school guys that have been doing it forever and really know what they're doing. A lot of our department heads have been in the fields and they're journeymen's and journeyman plumbers, electricians, and so many people have just done this job for so many years and the customers get to know them. And that gives a lot of that old time, you know, hometown feel in addition to. And it sounds like that that kind of happened naturally by the way that you you all run the business and you all work as well. The work ethic, the commitment to expertise, the commitment to learning your trade. But how do you, you know, as a leader in your company, project that to, to other people? How do you, how do you inspire somebody who you know is good at what they do to, to continue to do that? Or to, you know, what, what kind of culture do you provide where people want to stick around for 20 or 30 years? The biggest thing is we don't tell anybody to do anything. We ask them to do stuff. The way I go about it is I ask with open questions. I know what the answer is, but I lead them to the answer that I'm looking for. So it's then their idea when they get to the question I'm asking them. Right. And so then it's their idea and then they take ownership in it. And 
want to do it. So I don't even need to ask them to do it. It's like, hey, what a great idea. Yeah. How long will it take you to get it done? Yeah. And we got a really good team relationship and great communication with our uh, people. You know, we have an open door policy with everybody. There's very rarely is my door ever shut. And, you know, it's nice to challenge our guys on creating new processes and better in the store. And they come out to my office all the time. Let me know, hey, I just did this and I just did this. And some of the greatest ideas and time saving uh, ideas come from actually some of the newest employees, even, yeah. as well as some of the older guys. And it's really neat to see of new standards and procedures and uh, new stuff happening all the time. Yeah. New perspectives, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the best ones was uh, we have this little open door that we ship freight on, on a second floor. So the forklift has to come up, load it through the door for years. They call on the radio, taking up time. Hey, balcony, can you open up the, the man door or the overhead door upstairs? It's like, no, tied up with the customer, taking up radio time. Yeah. So they'd have to set the forks down, take out their seatbelt, set the e-brake, put it in park, run upstairs and uh, open the door, run downstairs and uh, then put the pallet up and then repeat the procedure. And they do it about eight times a day. Someone finally says, hey, why don't we get garage door openers on our forklifts? And we got to thinking about it and started adding up time. And all of a sudden, I think we added it up. And just with that one door alone. So that's that's truly amazing that, that you've created that culture in there. And one of the themes that I've kind of heard you talk about is that you, you, you started out, you know, with a very simple position and you worked up into a leadership position. How important do you think that is for people within the company to start in the trenches, learning the basics and then working their way up from there to becoming an expert at that position or growing into a leadership position? I think it's very important. You know, we just hired a guy's going to be starting here in a month. Even though he's got a tremendous amount of knowledge about the product, he doesn't know the culture. He doesn't know the computer system. And he and I kind of said, you know, real open, what's, what's going to be your comfort level for coming in to work? I said, I've got an idea, but I want to hear what your idea is. He goes, you know, if I could go and like work around the store and in some of the departments and really learn what you have, what brands you have, and not just throw me out in, into the wolves with on the road. And then I'm trying to sell stuff, which I don't know you have, or it's just going to make it tougher. And it's like, you know, you're bringing up exactly what I was thinking would be perfect. Because if we work him around all the departments for a couple of days, and he's really paying attention, waiting on customers, he really gets to know all the product we carry. Uh, he can uh, learn the phone systems from the other guys. He can learn the computer systems and really uh, make it a lot easier for when he goes out on the road for outside sales. Yeah, learning the flip side of what he's selling, right? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, he gets to learn the names of the department heads and the departments. And, you know, those are great tools for him when he gets out on the road. But if you can call the uh, department head and talk to him, hey, where are we buying this? What's our cost? How many do we have? You know, he can at least call him by name. And it helps him learn the hardware sales way and the hardware sales culture. So you talk about the hardware sales way and the hardware sales, sales culture. We've all actually been in, here in the studio, have been in recently to hardware sales. And there's a certain, a certain experience that we had, which was great. And it's different than a big, big, big box store, right? When you define culture, someone's walking in your front door looking for that part one in 70,000, you know, piece part, right? What is that experience that you and your company set forth? What do you, what is that experience like? Our expectation is that uh, we grab them by the hand and put the product in their hand and not point and say it's down there someplace, you know, even if it's taking them upstairs or if you don't know, get them hooked up with the people that do know. 
and uh, create a good experience for those people. And with this uh, COVID and everything we've went through, we've had a little bit of turnover and actually we've had a fair amount of people retire and it's been a challenge to get up to the level that we want. So we're actually under the level that we normally like to be right mm -hmm. now with the turnover that we've had. So, and and I, so you had people that were, that knew, you know, where the XYZ part was in this department and try this, but if this doesn't work, give this a try and grab some WD-40. They had like the whole package for each customer that came in. And because of COVID, they've retired or, you know, taken more time off or whatever it is. Yeah. We just went through a big round of retire retirement. We lost one in our cable shop. Within two weeks, we lost uh, two in our plumbing, one in our industrial, one in our hardware section. And we're going to be having one on the balcony retire here in two months. They were all retirements. Yeah. And then that's on top of your other turnover, which right. uh, we've had some guys leave to go into the field yeah. just lately. So it's definitely uh, like a lot of us out there have had some hiring challenges. Yeah, it's been a tough time for a lot of people. And I imagine with supply chain and with, you know, being in vicinity of people and all the unknowns, it does, does even make it more challenging as well. You know, starting in 1962, there's been generation after generation after generation passing down and the world changes and at the core you've always had this local business right mm -hmm. you're, you're this you know old school local business with all of the new school and things that you need to be successful so what is tell me about that progression of like day one here's how things were at this time and as it got passed down to generation you know to generation one of the biggest generational changes was when we first computerized. Uh, we used to handwrite all the invoice. We had this old stamp, you'd stick the invoice in and you'd have to get the steel card out for their account, put it in, stamp it, and then you had to handwrite every invoice. Getting my grandmother to prove to computerize <laughs> was very difficult. My uh, dad worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, and then she finally agreed to do it, but she didn't want us to go live. And first off, it was making sure everything was getting loaded in the system for what it was, which, you know, if we had, I don't know, 400, 500,000 items back then, everything had to get loaded into the system for a first time. Yeah. And then uh, trying to keep things accurate once it was loaded, then you had to load the inventory and barcodes started coming along. So we just really had to, to transition through all that slowly and lots and lots of errors along the way. And, um, it, it was very, very difficult. I think it took us three years to get fully computerized. That that was probably the biggest hurdle in our whole history was computerization. That was my dad and my grandmother's era with her not wanting the change and him wanting the change. You know, we just kept on evolving and building slowly on that. Now all our inventory is completely on our phone today. Yeah. So I can put in a model number or description right on my phone. It'll tell me what I paid, how many I have, how many I've sold. I can do it from anywhere in the world now, right in my pocket, which is awfully nice. Yeah. And then we just, you know, the family created a tremendously great foundation for us and we got to come in and just slowly build upon it and keep on growing. And one thing that we've always done was reinvested the, the profits back into the corporation mm -hmm. for years and years and years. Even today we're, we're still building and yeah. taking on new lines and, and uh, building out our rental division and just having a good time with it. And for people that are listening, that are starting a business or in that first year, two years, whatever it may be, and they're listening to this story about 60 years of experience and challenges and failures and successes, um, you just said something about investing back into the business. And I think a lot of people start out a business and they want to immediately pay themselves 
well? How, did you just learn to invest back into the business or did was that something that was taught to you by dad, grandparents? I mean, was that just always a company culture? Just we're going to keep growing this by reinvesting? That's what the family's kind of done the whole time. But, you know, we always, the business had always taken care of us. So we want to make sure that the business came first and we took care of the business first. That was very important to us. And if we take care of the business, the business will take care of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've gone through some tough times and I've always kept the bulldozer blade down and the pedal of the metal, yeah. you know, and, you know, keep it right on that almost dangerous edge. But um, it's, it, it works out. You know, you, you take a big step and you make a big move and then, you know, you're, into your line of credit for quite a while and mm -hmm. it takes a few years to build out and then you try something different and then you're back in your line of credit and you build yourself out and we've done that four or five different times yeah it's, it sounds like there's always been somebody in the company or multiple people in the company that have a you know have a risk tolerance and then maybe you know grandma held it down with understanding how to run a business but she may have kept you guys a little bit more grounded or kept everybody a little tell me about who are the risk takers and what what are the pros and cons for the company of, of you know taking a risk versus playing it safe or you know what are those types of scenarios yeah everything has a different type of risk to right. it you know right. is your risk you know are you buying a bunch of inventory and can you sell down that inventory and recoup your costs and get back out of the hole or like the last one we did this fifty six thousand square foot building back in Indianapolis we were tied into a pretty big lease payment on that mm -hmm, sure so the rent each month is pretty substantial plus the inventory. So then you'd have to ship all the inventory. See if when things break in Ferndale or aren't selling well, we just ship them to the main store and vice versa. Mm -hmm. When it's clear back in Indy, there's a whole different level of risk for us there. Right. You know, we can't just ship it back to the store. We've, we tried an office furniture store down in Mount Vernon. You know, there's, there's a perfect example of one thing that worked great. We had a contract with office Depot. We got all their, uh, special order inventory, special order inventory that went bad, all their scratch and dent. We get a case of paper and once that strap's broken, it goes in a truck. We were paying them 10 cents a dollar and about every week and a half, we'd get a 48 foot semi load. Mm -hmm. Then we'd pull it into our office furniture store and we'd sell new desks and used desks and chairs, chair mats, file cabinets and all that. You know, that was a great business for quite a while. And the thing is, is technology changes business. Mm -hmm. That was a perfect example of um, Wi-Fi coming in. You don't need your uh, tower at your desk and your monitor on your desk anymore. You got Wi-Fi, your laptop, go sit outside, store all your paperwork or everything on your, in what you used to hold in your file cabinet is now stored in your computer. Yep. You don't need the file cabinet. A lot of people went to lean desks, so they went to stand up desks, so they don't need a chair or a chair mat anymore. So you lost the, the chair, the chair mat, the file cabinet, and so many people, uh, don't even home, have home desks anymore like they used to. It was a big thing for a while. So technology kind of outgrew the office furniture market for us. And we're looking at that building. It's like, yeah, what could we do with that? And it's like, why don't we look at rental equipment? And mm -hmm. rental equipment, we uh, saw some other companies, had some other friends that were doing it and uh, tried it out and found it to be a pretty profitable company for us. So we ex we're currently still expanding into rental. You're constantly, it sounds like you're, you're, you're well networked. So you know, a lot of people in your industry and you kind of, you know, you maybe notice little things or big things that these other companies are doing and saying, ah, that sounds like a good idea. And then you're, you're just willing to try it. And then yeah. I, I see so many people fail, not because of, you know, not giving it their best shot. They just don't try at all. So you, you've been, you've been willing to try, willing to take risk, willing to, to fail, but then 
how have you been able to read these trends? Like you just told me about a trend that I didn't even know about with office furniture. Were, were you guys pretty quick to pick up on these? Oh, wow. These sales are dropping right now. Oh, it's because of this particular impact or this influence. Well, we keep adapting, but yeah. we, you know, we try and stay ahead of it and, and always look towards the future. And we knew office furniture would come to an end, but we didn't know how fast. So we got out while the getting was good. Yeah. You know, there's other things that when we're looking to grow into different businesses, it's like uh, rental. We sell pressure washers and you got a $1,200 pressure washer and you got a lot of people that want to buy that $1,200 pressure washer, but no, they should be buying a $600 pressure washer, right? With their budget. So it's like, he's really looking at that and he tells me he doesn't have the money for it. It's like, hey, why don't we go over to rental? I've got one that maybe has 10, 12 rents on it. We can get the price down there. Then you can get the, the Cadillac for the reduced cost and get exactly what you want. You know, that goes with any of the stuff that we have in rental. Once we rent it out a few times, we can sell it at a reduced rate, getting people into that higher name brand product that they know is gonna last more commercial product. I'm just really impressed because it's a it's a it's it's something that we try to do in our industry too. And it's, I'm always very, just, it gets me excited, inspired because it means you're constantly on. Like yeah, you're yeah. constantly going, you're constantly researching, you're constantly talking to other people. How do you, as a person, shut off? How does your family, you know, like when you, because there's a point that you get to where you're like, okay, I got it. I have to go fish, golf, go on vacation, just not answer my phone. To, like, what is that like as a leader? How do you find that space and block it out and make it happen? When you love what you do, you never turn it, turn it off. Yeah, it just keeps going. <laughs> no, all my friends tell me I need to turn it off once yeah. in a while. But, you know, I, I live it. I, I love what I do. And, you know, I can't shut it off when I want to. Yeah. If I get tired, I, I will, but you know, my mind's usually always going. It just, but it's not a bad thing for me. Yeah. Not a workaholic either. Yeah. But you know, you're always just thinking of new things or how you can better, better yourself or better this or better that, or you're going to talk to this guy and move him over here. It's always a chess game with employees. Yep. That's one of the toughest, toughest things in our line of work is naturally people. That's a big challenge for us. Yeah. Systems usually work pretty well, right? Oh yeah. People, it depends on the day. It depends on the time of day. It depends yep. on if they've eaten. It depends on what's going on in their personal life. And, you know, you're, you might be showing up and completely blocking it out and making it, you know, your priority to be there and be professional. And maybe they don't that day. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Tell me about hiring. And I mean, you guys clearly don't have, like, you've had people there for a long, long time. And part of it is ramping up with a new, new employee or a new leader in the, in the company it takes time. So what are you looking for when you're selecting somebody that's a good fit for the company? You know, when I do the hiring myself, which Joe, our uh, general manager, does a lot of it. But, uh, you know, I, I like taking a lot of time on interviews. Because, I mean, when you're when you're taking a job, you're you're talking about a lot of time spent in a place and a pretty major decision, yep. almost a bigger decision than buying a house. Yep. You know, it's, it's your life that you're going to be spending a lot of time there. So I really like to uh, get, really get to know the person when I'm interviewing them. As far as our reputation goes, it's, it's not Joe, it's not myself, it's not our managers to give hardware sales its name. It's every team member that we have down there on the floor. So it's an, so important to us to spend that time with these new hires to make sure we're really putting the right people with the right attitude on the sales floor and on our workforce. And if we can put a great team on there, on that uh, sales floor, it reduces our stress. Yeah. Because they have good communication skills. You know, they're energetic. They're exactly what we're looking for. And we can teach in so many different aspects. 
but putting getting the right people and and really making sure you don't hold on to the wrong people too long. Mm-hmm. We've all done that too. Well, and there's this relationship between an employee and an employer, right? And it there is a hierarchy to it, right? Mm-hmm. To a certain extent. But how do you create a space where people can come back and give you, you know, as you know, in leadership, how do you create a safe space for an employee to come back and go, I don't, I don't like that. It, it's it's difficult, but you know, it's also called honesty. If something's bothering them and they don't like something I see, who doesn't want to better themselves? Yeah. So if they're telling me I've got a weakness, I want to hear about it. Yeah. And hopefully they do too. It's just having good productive communication with them is so important. Hey everyone, it's Tiffany, the producer behind the show. One of our goals here at the show is to uplift awesome small businesses in our community. So every month, our team produces a local business news update where we celebrate anniversaries, announce changes and collaborations, or tell you about major business moves so you can stay in the know. It's all on social media, so be sure to follow the Building Bellingham podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's, uh, let's switch over and talk a little bit about scale. You guys started small scale. Tell me about this timeline of, okay, well, we just decided that we were going to get into rentals. Then we just decided we we're going to open this. You, it didn't, you don't just cut two and then all of a sudden you have this big business. What was, tell me a little bit more about scale and what it was like going from two to three employees to 144 employees. Well, when I came on, we probably had about 30 employees. So that was, I just turned 50 last week and well, happy birthday. I started when I was 20. <laughs> So 30 years ago, back then it was much harder to grow because we didn't have the resources and we had a lot of owners with a lot of different ideas. So there was a lot of communication and, you know, are we going to try this? Are we going to try that? And boy, we've, I mean, we tried so many things. We tried the office merch store down in Mount Vernon. We tried a cabinet division. We've uh, tried a rebar fabrication shop. Those are all areas that we've tried that have failed on us. Um, there's probably a few more as well that I'm probably not remembering, but um you know, you just want to make sure that you're not doing too many new things, trying them out all at once and mm-hmm. you can keep it under management right. and uh, keep a handle on it. But that's, that's where, you know, we've, you never want to grow too, too big, too fast and, and really try and keep a handle on it. We pushed it to the limits a couple of times yeah. with some big ones. And the Indianapolis location was one of our biggest ones and had to take quite a loan out and a lot of risk. And boy, there was challenges through that. There was a lot of internet fraud going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, people stealing product off people's porches. You know, I think one year just in fraud alone, I want to say we lost probably about $120,000 just in fraud. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's spooky. And you know, that, that didn't get calculated in on the numbers. No, we don't and, expect it. You don't, you, you're seeing this huge opportunity with the internet and being able to ship direct, right? Yeah and expand nationally. Right. And you, so you see that, but you're, and you think you see the opportunity, the entrepreneur says, wow, I see this opportunity, but then there's people, there's a lot of people out there that are out there to get you. Yeah. But you know, whenever you start any of those that it's toughest when you first get it going, it's like, say you have a uh, spigot with a bucket underneath and that bucket's got about 16 holes and that spigot's all the way on and it's not holding any water, right? That's what it feels like when you you start it. Then you finally get uh, three holes in the bucket plugged and four new holes pop up. (laughs) You know, it it takes, you know, you always think, okay, we're gonna be here in six months. It always takes three times longer than what you think it's gonna take. I think we've all been through that. I'm gonna start this project, I'm gonna have it done in an hour. Three hours later, I misestimated that one, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, and so we, we calculate that in whenever we do anything too. And it's, if you think it's going to cost you a hundred dollars, figure on 200 and more time and 
you're, you're going to hit hiccups. And like uh, this January, we just started selling, we just started moving our product into uh, FBA fulfilled by Amazon. So it's mm -hmm. physically in Amazon's warehouses. And we have all kinds of holes in the bucket right now that we're trying to work on and get patched up. And because it's, it's something new again, we had our, we had it pretty much mastered selling out of our own warehouses, but really mastering the FBA is a little bit different. And Every day we learn something new. I'm assuming a family decision, a leadership decision to say, hey, we're going to go to Indianapolis. Why, why Indianapolis? Why 56,000 square feet? Tell me about that whole process of, you know, we're going to go big. <laughs> yeah, well, we we had some contracts with some different companies that uh, we're going to fill. And then we we're going to also warehouse some product for other companies. And uh, looking back, I think we could have got by with about 24,000 square feet right now because things have changed and things are currently always changing and, and uh, revolving for us. Right now, we don't need that square footage. And there's been some other challenges that we've gone through uh, dealing with a lot of these uh, huge companies. They're dictators. It used to be we were the customer, you yeah. know, the customer's king. And anymore, you know, we're not the customer anymore. We get dictated to. So through that whole venture, we found ourselves going away from some of these huge companies like uh, DeWalt and Milwaukee, and those are all dictatorships and going towards, you know, we'll call those the A companies and getting down to the, the B minus and C companies that you actually have relationships with mm -hmm. and then get good communication, good uh, teamwork going and get on a good role and do some greatness for both parties. And, you know, dealing with Amazon, of course, one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, it's very difficult to even communicate with them through email. You can't get them through phone and trying to get answers a lot of times. Yep. It, it's it's very, very difficult. That's that's one of the biggest challenges out there. Communication with these gigantic companies pretty much on your own. One of the cool things you just said was you got really specific and you started targeting the companies that you wanted to work with because of that relational piece, which was in line with how you run the company, right? And I think it gets exciting for a business to say, hey, we got this huge contract or we've got this big company that's interested in working with us. But that is a really amazing lesson when you said, I want I want the relationship. Maybe speak to the entrepreneur that is early on in their business and think of, think back to when the company was earlier on versus now and I've got targeted and more specific on on the customer, on who you want to go for on the contracts. Yeah. One of the things our suppliers, this isn't exactly where you want to head, but our, a lot of our suppliers, what they had was, you know, they wholesaled all these different people. And then um, they'd even, in a lot of cases, wholesale to Amazon themselves. And then they're, so they're in brick and mortars, they're online and they're doing uh, three-step distribution. And then all of a sudden their price gets beat down to where nobody's making any money. And they go to Amazon and say, hey, you can't sell that for that price. Well, and Amazon gets back to them and says, well, it's not us. Yeah. It's an algorithm. And so anybody that put a price in lower, ours just just down to theirs. And so then the prices get driven down. So that's where a lot of these companies have come to us. It's like, yeah, we're going to let all the other internet people go. We're going to tie in only to you guys. We'll have that communication. We're going to get the retails back up because if those retails get beat down, there's a lot of brick and mortars across the U.S. don't want to carry it because they can't make any money at it and keep their doors open because there's no profitability in it. What we do is we establish relationships with them. They tell us where they want their map pricing to be. We list it. And then we work together to get those other people trying to backdoor that drive the price down so everybody can win. Their brick and mortars stay profitable. Mm -hmm. Their distribution stays strong. Our agreement is we handle the Amazon piece for them. 
We've done it with company like Spiderco Knives. Mm -hmm. We've um, done it with Scratch and Peck Chicken Feeds. One of the companies we're working with right now is Barlene Organic. Mm -hmm. A couple of local companies there. Absolutely. And there's a big one called uh, Fine Tool, a German company that mm -hmm. has a multi-master tool. We uh, just started with this door jam company. We're slowly growing that leg of work for us. So it's it's almost like a... There, there's one side of it, which is the sales side of it, the you know the the retail sales side of it, and the other side is you're problem solving. You're coming in and you're consulting, saying, "Hey, we're going to handle this other piece that allows you to be able to buy this product and continue this way of life that has been around since, I mean, the start of America. Yeah, yep. you know, brick and mortar. Yep. And and how has that been for you and and for the company? I mean, there's 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 two sides to the business. You have to be online. I mean, that's just the way it is now right but how have you how have you managed to keep that brick and mortar side going because it's i mean so many businesses rely on it opening up the internet helps us with our buying power yep. keep us competitive one of the things that we've always looked at and one of the reasons that led us to internet sales was you know just just selling flat retail can you buy enough to get the buying power that you need just to sell retail then we said let's go after that contractor business so at least maybe we can get our buying power up a little bit so we opened up our industrial sales division. So then we were selling, we were selling retail industrial sales, and then we led over to the internet side. And so now we got retail sales, our industrial sales, and our internet side to help us feed that buying power. Yeah. And uh, then we even did a little bit of wholesaling at one point too to sell some larger volume. The more people you can sell one product to, and the more you can pull in, the more negotiating power you have on on your costs. Yeah. So we've worked hard at that through the years. It sounds like there. It just continues to be kind of scratching the 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 next next necessary itch, right? The, within the within the world to provide more value, right? Yeah. And that's you're doing that by investing back into a new division, a new uh, you know leader in that division, whatever it may be. So as you're pulling new products in, you want to look at things with what we call our internet proof. Mm -hmm. Are you going to order peen online? Probably, huh. probably not, because huh. are you going to get the proper color match and order it online? You know, your ready mix, your pipe, your ladders, things of that nature. Are you going to rent something out of California for the weekend, have it shipped up and shipped back? So that's one thing that we're always looking at too, is it is it internet proof mm -hmm. on new products that we're pulling in and trying. Is it, and also on cost too, is it something that where if it's not what they thought it was, is it is it going to be a real thorn in their side to say, oh, I got to send it back and, or eat the cost or whatever, whatever it may be? Yeah. So internet proof, that's an interesting concept. How did you guys develop that? Well, you just kind of train yourself and ask yourself what... <laughs> where can it sell yeah and uh you know there's for shipping there's dimensional weight and we used to be able to sell a lot of stuff and then the shipping companies changed their ways and it made it a lot of product to where we couldn't sell it anymore yeah just because it was too big to ship and too expensive for its costs kind and, of trial by error but well we we we'd calculated out steve our our steve dowers that runs our internet put this he and andrew put this beautiful package together that uh they can throw the cost the weight and everything in and then uh they'll go to online they can see what that product's selling for and see if there's any profit in it yeah so he's got a little uh system built to where he can simplify the process pretty easy to pretty easy and quick to see if uh, it's worth us pulling in on and it takes the size weight price and then they put in the uh retail price and figure out and then they usually take okay so let's let's figure it on shipping the furthest we'd ship something yeah and see what kind of profits left over after everything's said and done it's amazing yeah. it probably helps yeah it really good helps. thing you put in the computer systems right i'll tell you <laughs> it, it's not like i said earlier it's not me 
you know, a lot of this came from a lot of great people management that works for us and yeah. Steve and Andrew out of the internet, Lindsay. So, so many of our team members are just geniuses and really make some great choices. Yeah. And which makes our life very easy and helps us grow in the right direction and a lot of communication and interaction. And as a leader, I mean, I see so many of, you know, really successful businesses have something really in common, which is this concept of team. And it's not just all about the person that owns the company, but it's about how can you empower the people that are more specialized in something or better than you as, as, as the leader at something? How do you, I mean, how important is team to you? All of us, we try and feed into each other's strengths and everybody has different views and different strengths. Yeah. And we really try and feed on people's views and strengths. Yep. It's just like uh, one of our guys, Andrew, that, that guy can see the finish line that he wants and he might know that it's going to take a hundred steps in that computer. He'll build a program to get you to the finish line in an automated fashion. And Joe, she's an incredible writer and an incredible people person. She's our human resource gal and she's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, Steve, he's one heck of a negotiator. His vision of logistics and how to put things to work are amazing as well. So watch out for Steve on the sales floor, right? Uh, he, he runs the internet, <laughs> the whole internet division. <laughs> so he's in charge of Indianapolis, uh, yep. Ferndale, all the purchasing, all the inventory that goes into there, um, a lot of negotiations. Mm -hmm. He's brought some of these bigger accounts, most of these bigger accounts on. And from a from a marketing perspective, you first of all, you've you've targeted this this need and need within your industry, right? Within cross industries, right? That you're a part of, right? Who are you marketing to? How are you marketing? Who are you marketing to? How, like, how do you pick up new customers, or even just locally here in Bellingham? How does someone go? I'm going to go to hardware sales versus a, a Lowe's or a. Well, first off, you know, you you want to try and get that household name. Yep. We cheated a little bit, you know, they were doing a survey. When you bring up your most favorite hardware store, who would you say? Well, it's kind of in the name there. So yeah. It's cheating, but. Well, SEO there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's so hard <laughs> to go against the national accounts of Home Depot and Lowe's, you yeah. know, when they watch them, you know, they see it plastered on NASCARs and yep. all over advertising everywhere. Right. Yeah. But, you know, we really tried to hit it with service and just making a great name for ourselves and, uh, create a good experience for those customers. And, you know, the, it's those customers that provide us with work without yeah. the customers, we wouldn't have a job. Right. And so we got to treat all those customers, you know, those are our bosses. And if we can portray great customer service, then that'll keep us successful. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people come in and think we're a little bit too more too contractor based. Yeah. And, you know, we put in a expanded in our paint and our lawn and garden a little bit, soften it up and, but we are industrial based. Yeah. There's another one, our outside salesmen are calling on a lot of local manufacturing and we go out to Woodby Island down Seattle. We call on some of those skyscraper builders and yep. we push a lot of uh, Makita tools, for instance, down to a lot of those skyscraper outfits yep. down there. So yeah, just, and just sticking with, with the lane that you're in and it's, you know, you can expand outside into different parts of, of the freeway, essentially for sake of the metaphor, but you're also, you're sticking to that. You're saying, look, they can do that. They can be on NASCARs. Here's what we're going to do. And kind of having your horse blinders on and just focusing on what you guys do. Yeah. One of the most common things we hear is, God, I've been three places. I need to just start coming here first. Yeah. You know, we hear that so often and it's, you know, one big part of it is having enough of the right inventory. So the inventory management on your, on your products is huge. How do you do that? It's, it's, <laughs> well, this, this past 18 months has been the most difficult. It's like, what, 
what should take you 10 seconds is now taking you 40 seconds for every move. There's so much uh, shortage in the industry across the board. I heard for a 40 foot container overseas, which used to be $2,200, I've heard they're going for $20,000. That's a big uh, hike. And then they can't, they're still struggling. There's a container shortage on top of that. So people aren't getting shipments in. It's It's been quite the challenge where most of your companies like us um, are a standard A store, do it best store, true value store. Mm -hmm. We are a do it best store, but we also order from uh, four different major warehouses beyond that. Mm -hmm. We're usually those A stores only buy from their A stores. Mm. So when one's out, we can jump to this warehouse, this warehouse, or this warehouse. And hopefully they all had staggered shipments and we've uh, been pretty successful uh, having many different resources yep. through this. So keeping keeping your options open there. And so for you or the person that would be doing um, any sort of ordering or inventory management, how, how like, let's just say during normal times, like pre-COVID, we, you know, still probably quite the, quite the job to plan, order, manage, and ensure that it's stocked. So you have all of these different pieces. How do you decide that this this is selling better? You know, part A is selling better than part B, and therefore we need ten times more of these. And this is going to cost this much, but it's going to take us this long. How did how does that work? Well, if you know a price increase coming up, we try and buy up. Depend on how much it's going up, we'll buy up sometimes six seven months worth. But uh, you never know where the shortage is going to pop up. So we kind of took our whole inventory from keeping about a month and a half supply to about two and a half to three months worth of inventory. So when you do, so if, when you have that additional inventory in house, when they do pop up, it frees you up for time to pursue that product that you're short on because you're not having orders often on all that other product. And with inflation we're going through, we accidentally kind of fell into that carrying heavier inventory so we could beat the increases by having old inventory in a lot of cases too. That makes sense. And so that was planned. No, it wasn't planned. We got lucky. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and how much of running a business is, do you think, luck and planning and hard work? I mean, what's what's the what's the mix? A lot of educated guesses, right? <laughs> I love it. I don't know. You, you get you get a lot of experience over the years, but you do get lucky in a lot of cases too. But then you get unlucky in a lot of cases. We've had it to where there was a conduit shortage, which we're going through right now about 10 years ago when uh, there was a hurricane back on the East Coast. And again, nobody could get uh, resins to make conduit. So there's a conduit shortage for about four months. And we kept on selling truckload after truckload after truckload. And then the orders kept on coming. We had to be out about three weeks on them to stay ahead of the game. Then all of a sudden we had three truckloads and the market fell down and you know you paid $200 per hundred. And now all of a sudden the price dropped to $100 per hundred. So you had to take a loss on all of it. Stuck with the bag, yeah. Yeah, certainly happens both ways. So at one point right now, we got a lot of inflation, but what happens when things start getting caught up again and it starts dropping? Just You're like, stuck with inventory. Yeah, yeah, just like OSP. Yep. Oh yeah, I know all we about, all that. about <laughs> that, right? Yeah, gold, gold, the new gold, right? But then, so those stuck on inventory now, I guess it dropped from the high 70s, clear back down to... What is it? Back down fourteen, fifteen dollars again. Yep. But what if you had it at uh, seventy? Yeah, whole, whole lumber package. Yeah. The future of hardware sales. It sounds like you've you've lived with your mind on the future, learning from the past, but really just kind of like this is what whatever's next. We're gonna try to just do one thing at a time, not just overload ourselves. So, are you guys getting back into dynamite, or what's the <laughs> what's the next what's the next step? Well, got a great team very driven team and then i've got my daughter right now she's uh going to business school that's amazing up at western so she's 
starting her third year. So we'll see uh, what she wants to do down the line too. But I've got some great people that uh, can certainly handle the business. I've still got a lot of years in front of me and looking forward to it, but we don't know where the next venture is. One of the big ones we just did about two months ago was we went uh, from five family members and then my grandmother passed away. We bought out my cousin, took us down to three family members. And then um, my aunt, she's in her eighties and uh, chose to retire. My dad and I are the uh, last two. So that was a big one having to buy her out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a good deal for all of us. So now we've got to recover from that. Right. So that's not a big business change on, you know, adding a new department, anything like that, but it hurt us in the pocketbook a little bit. So we have to recoup from that. So we got to be pretty careful on our growth right now, but we're continuing uh, to grow our internet division. We're continuing to grow our uh, rental division. If there's new lines or anything for hardware that we can pick up, we're certainly always looking, which we have a few in mind right now. And for... You know, the, the, the guy that's starting up a new business or has a dream or has a vision or the gal that's, you know, looking to start a new business in town. What what advice do you have as being part of a business, um, starting new parts of a business, taking risks? What advice do you have for someone that's just in the infancy? God, there's gotten to be so much red tape. I'd say run. <laughs> the Small Business Development Center or what they call it up the college, you know, they've got a good program yep. to really walk you through it. I highly recommend that they're great people. They lay everything out. It's, it, it's tough. I was very fortunate where the family handed me a great foundation that, you know, we went through a lot of the, the stuff already. And so I could grab that foundation and run with it. Yeah. New people starting up business. It's, it's certainly a challenge and you're going to make mistakes and make sure you uh, budget for those mistakes. Yeah. And yep. stick with it, right? And stick with it. Yep. You better love it. <laughs> <laughs> and put in a lot of hard hours and uh, prepare to put the money back in the business for a while. Most of it. Yep. Or all of it. <laughs> yep. Our guest today was Ty McClellan, Vice President and Co-Owner of Hardware Sales in Bellingham. Hardware sales, retail store, equipment rental, and lawn equipment maintenance services are located on the corner of James and Kentucky Street in Bellingham. They're on the web at www.hardwaresales.net and they're active on Facebook. Thank you again to Ty for joining Leo on the Building Bellingham podcast. Building Bellingham is a community podcast exploring leadership, challenges, failure, and mindset with entrepreneurs right here in Whatcom County, Washington. You can catch recorded episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Be the first to hear about upcoming guests on the Building Bellingham Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as the Building Bellingham YouTube channel. This episode was produced and edited by Tiffany Holden. Our videography is done by Cooper Hansley. Social media and community support is by Taylor Beal. To learn more about the team behind the podcast, check out our website at www.livebellinghamnow.com or search Cohen Group NW on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. From the whole Building Bellingham podcast team, thank you for listening. <laughs>